who do I want to be? What am I willing to do to get there? And if you want to be a lawyer, like, you know, you have to pass the bar and you need to get a law degree. Like, I'm not telling you don't get a law degree, right? Um, but if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be a business person, if you want to be a creative, if you want to be an artist, if you want to do something disruptive, then I don't necessarily think it's all that important. Before we get going, a quick housekeeping note. A lot of you have said that you love the podcast thus far. So my ask is that you hop on to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to subscribe and rate I Digress Podcast. Your support is humbling, and this simple step would really help. All right, welcome to Episode 10 of I Digress Podcast. Our guest today is and works for a disruptor in a space that needs to change, education. More specifically, advanced education. He has hacked the system to land a role with a company that embodies what he's all about. Jonathan Kendall is the COO at MentorBox. I came across him when I reached out to MentorBox co-founder and successful entrepreneur, Dr. Alex Mayer, during one of their Instagram live sessions. Jonathan is a fascinating, contemplative, confident, self-aware guy with a strong conviction around the topics that we're going to explore today. Let's start today's story in my favorite spot. Who is Jonathan Kendall? Well, that's a really deep, philosophical, intense almost spiritual question, right? Like, who are we as a, as humans? You know, why are we here? Uh, who am I? You know, one of the things that I really believe in is this idea of a growth mindset, uh, which I totally stole, or I should say learned from Carol Dweck's book, book uh, Mindset, which is this idea of like, I am this or I am not this is all, well, BS in a way. What it means is if I say, well, I'm not very good at basketball or I am, uh, I'm a writer, right? It's easy for me to say I'm a writer because I have a resume that sort of proves that I'm a writer. So in casual conversation, if someone asks the question, hey, what do you do? Or, you know, what are you into? What do you like? Who are you? Is the deeper version of that. I often will answer something along the lines of I'm a writer or I'm a runner. I like long distance running. I think that defines me in some, some level. But I think more than anything, what defines me is my ability to adapt and my humility in the sense of I'm very confident with basically anything that I do, but only in the sense that I'm confident that I'm able to learn it effectively and appropriately and quickly rather than saying, you know what, I'm not, I'm not a good singer. Like that, that's sort of true as it stands at the present moment, but that doesn't mean that if I was given the right opportunity or the right or I should say if I gave myself the right opportunity or if I got the right lessons or if I had the right teacher and I dedicated enough time into that specialization, I think I could become a fairly good singer, right? And that is something that for most of my life I've always said, you know, I'm not really good at singing, but that's, you know, that's not really, really true. It just means that I haven't done what's necessary in order to become a good singer. So, you know, who am I? I think I'm a believer in uh, the future and I'm, I believe that we're all capable of of more than these simple definitions, uh, you know, this, uh, I am this, I am that, I am not this, I'm not good at this. I think it's all, it's all in our head. And it's just as a matter of where are we putting our energy? Told you. As if that didn't set the tone, let's hear what Jonathan is hoping we take away from today's chat. Buckle up. He's putting us on blast. You are ultimately responsible for everything that happens to you. And if you're listening to this podcast, this means that you have 
access to a computer. It means that you maybe have access to some kind of mobile device. It means that you understand technology enough, the Internet, in order to use it effectively, in order to listen to it effectively, which means that you're probably near at least of probably 10% in terms of socioeconomic status of the world just by default of listening to this, especially considering, uh, you know, the framing of this entire podcast is, you know, education and uh, becoming better and difficult, interesting philosophical conversation. So you probably have some level of education as well. So my assumption is that you already have an insane advantage. You've won the cosmic lottery. You are not, you know, physics says that Basically, we're made up of the same thing as an antelope, and we're made up of the same thing as a table, and we're made up of the same thing as a star, right? So this is you know, deep down the rabbit hole of physics. It's all just a reorganization of the same thing, right? And we just happen to be organized in a way that we're conscious, and we're able to think, and we're able to learn, we're able to experience. It's like a window out into the world or consciousness or whatever you want to call it. So one, you won the lottery in that way. And then two, you won the lottery because you speak English, which is the economic language of the world. And then three, you probably have some level of education. And four, you probably are fairly high up in the socioeconomic status, even if you don't necessarily believe that because you're trying to keep up with the Joneses around you, which are maybe, you know, richer than you. But, you know, in the big scheme of things, you're doing really well already. So given that and given the multitude of stories of people that have gone from just the absolute shithole of circumstance and risen to whatever they want to be. You have no excuses. That's what I would say. You know, it's uh, kind of this idea of extreme ownership, which is uh, one of my favorite books of all time by uh, Jocko Willink and uh, Leif Babin, who are Navy SEAL commanders. And this idea that basically every reason that you give yourself for where you are or, or not, they're really excuses. And if you are smart enough to be listening to this podcast, you're smart enough to overcome any obstacle or theoretical obstacle that you may have. And it's just a matter of finding the right tools and figuring out the right answer. And it doesn't mean that you have the right answer right now, but it means you have the capability of finding the right answer. And if you do so, you will absolutely 100% become and experience anything you want to be. Well, fuck yeah. That's the epitome of our get shit done mantra. With that said, where did this passion for owning your own outcome and self-development come from? I think it started in 11th grade with my English class. We read a book called Johnny Got His Gun by Dalton Trumbo. And it was banned for a long time because it's very political and controversial. And it's about a soldier who was uh, attacked and stepped on a landmine. And he basically was unconscious, didn't have arms or legs, didn't have a face. And it was just his internal dialogue with himself starting to rediscover his new reality. And he couldn't communicate with the outside world. And it was just him and his thoughts. And I thought, one, it was just beautiful. The, the writing was just over the top. And simultaneously, I thought it was this incredible, the discussions that we had in class just became so powerful and so intense and so political and so human and so down the rabbit hole. And I thought, man, like, this is allegory. This is a made-up fictional story, and yet it says so much about and asks such difficult questions about, you know, why are we here and what is justice and what is truth and what is honor and what is patriotism and, you know, what is the nation and 
why do we organize ourselves the way we do and what is what does it mean to be alive versus not alive and you know what can, can we find happiness in the darkness and just all of these insanely beautiful things and from there i realized oh wow like words matter words are seriously important and the way that they're organized and the way we communicate with each other is deeply important so that just started me down the rabbit hole and then i got into speech and debate which is all rhetoric and persuasion and i love that went to one of the most elite speech and debate programs just haphazardly in the country and uh, had a had a great time traveling around the country and competing in those kinds of competitions. And then when I went to college, I really got into poetry slam because that same thing, you know, oration basically at its finest. People like Saul Williams just totally put me back on my seat and maybe think about everything in these beautiful ways. And then I studied philosophy in college, which is all reading and writing and arguing over deep, seemingly unimportant, yet what I would think is the most important things in the world. And it just, you know, it grew and grew and grew. And eventually I, you know, wrote and published a novel and then I started ghostwriting and then I got into nonfiction. For a long time, I didn't really believe in nonfiction as much. To be frank, I'm sure it was because my mind wasn't there yet and I had learned more from fiction and I thought, you know, kind of the nonfiction world was more either annoying, dry history or self-help, which my fragile ego at that point thought, oh, well, I don't need self-help because, you know, I'm great or whatever, as if by wanting to improve, you're somehow not worthy, which ironically, I literally feel the opposite now. But yeah, it just, it just moves on from there. Now, for those of you who may be thinking, who is this guy? It doesn't sound like he's had a lot to deal with. This next bit helps to set the tone for how Jonathan conditioned himself to make things happen. The university experience for me was difficult because I had to pay my way through. And I think more than anything, I just learned priorities and and setting priorities and figuring out ways to make it work, even though I was working 30 hours a week. And I was very politically active at that point. I don't want to get too far, you know, into into that. But, you know, when you're in college, especially at a massively liberal, uh, historically, politically active university, there's just a lot of fire going on. And this is, you know, in the heart of the Afghanistan war and the Iraq war right after 9-11. And there's just a lot going on. So I spent a lot of time organizing teams of people for voter registration. And like I said, I, I learned you know, some from my philosophy classes and made me think about things. But more importantly, it, it taught me how to become an adult, I guess, by challenging my ability to eat and put food on the table while simultaneously trying to you know, change the world. And also by, you know, maintaining my classes. So a lot of it was really just time management and productivity. Quick aside, based on the last one minute snippet, Jonathan had a far more productive collegiate experience than I. But it's this next bit of perspective that really caught me off guard, especially for someone coming out of such a prestigious university. You know, nothing that I learned from a professor was so profound that I couldn't have learned on my own. But at that point, there was no alternative where my mind was at that point. You know, you get good grades in high school in order to go to a good university. And then after that, you either decide to go back to university or you enter the workforce and, you know, the people that have a college degree have a good job and the people that don't, don't. And that's just the the story that we were told from our parents' generation. 
which I think predominantly was true for them because we were, you know, much more industrial and there was less knowledge economy. So the people who had skill sets of the knowledge economy could be managers or engineers or thought leaders, and they were more successful than someone who didn't. And so that's what they told us. And then what ended up happening, in my opinion, is that, you know, now you have 50% of the population that has one of these degrees and it means nothing, especially in the humanities. And you realize, oh man, like, you know, did I waste my time? I mean, I don't think I wasted my time, but yeah, certainly, you know, there was nothing that I read in a book or learned from a professor that was so profound that I, I couldn't have learned it on my own. So obviously this perspective resonates now with what he does at Mentorbox, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But first, one of the things I really appreciate about Jonathan's story is his ability to process and prioritize things. When you think about this next bit, think about how you analyze and approach roadblocks preventing you from reaching your goals. Is your approach effective? Are there ways you could be approaching things that may lead to greater success? Hearing Jonathan's perspective may inspire you to think differently. Here's how he approached life after the University of Michigan. Immediately after I did uh, this Karawakian road trip, you know, based on on the road and the Dharma buns, and I was you know deep into Eastern philosophy at that point and just wanted to see my country in a way. So I saved up a bunch of money and just went and traveled for a really long time. Ended up in Guatemala taking a, a job, basically doing the head of marketing for a startup. But I was in the you know change the world kind of mindset. And I was working for a company that organized alternative spring breaks. So rather than going out to Cancun and getting wasted, we would recruit college students to come down to Guatemala and build a house for someone that was in need. And it was spectacular. It changed my life 100%. My mother tells me that there was the before Guatemala and then there was the after Guatemala, Jonathan. And I think I believe her. I think that's true. When you see that level of poverty, when you realize that a majority of the population is living on $2 a day, your perspective changes on what's important. And it really, it was great. Built a team up, you know, we're successful, but then eventually it, it didn't work after we tried to start an office in the United States and just the financials didn't work. So then after that, I just went hardcore into writing and wrote for newspapers. I did freelance writing. I did ghostwriting. I wrote a novel, very Tim Ferriss style. I realized that I wasn't making enough money in order to continuously write in the in the way that I wanted to. So this chicken or the egg often happens, especially for artists. It's really true of any skill, but especially for artists. The idea is in order to be paid well to be an artist, you have to be so good. I know some people say, well, it's who you know. I mean, in a way, I guess, but even that is a, a skill that you can learn. Business networking is a conscious decision. But you you have to be really, really good. But in order to be really good at something, you have to basically practice full time. You have to consciously practice, right? You have to read books about how to be a better writer. You have to read books about plot. You have to read books about how to write dialogue. If you really want to do it, this is what you should be doing. And I knew that I should be doing that, and I wanted to do it more full time. So I would actually work seasonally. For a couple of years, I worked seasonally in Big Sur, and basically they just get inundated with all these rich people for you know three or four months out of the year. And so I would work there and just work 70 hours a week and save up a ton of money at a restaurant. And then I would live in Mexico or Guatemala or somewhere like that and give myself nine months off to write full time. And that was my solution to the chicken or the egg problem. How do I get paid? Basically, to practice, well, I only work three months out of the year, and this is a very Tim Ferriss, the four-hour workweek idea. And this is actually 
you know, from that book. I read that book and said, okay, this is what I need to do. So I lived in Mexico for a while and uh, kept on writing. And then eventually it got to the point where I didn't have to go back to Big Sur because I've made enough money writing on my own because I was good enough. Uh, and people would be willing to pay me what I wanted in order to live the way that I wanted to live. And that happened over and over and over again. And then eventually one of my clients became VentureBox when they were starting up. And, you know, the rest is history. There's obviously something about this guy that's unique. Maybe it's his ability to process and problem solve. Maybe it's his burning desire to self-educate and apply what he learned. Shit, I don't know. Either way, I'm not expecting you to move to Mexico or Guatemala for nine months out of the year in order to be able to afford to pursue what you love. But what I will do is urge you to challenge how you approach the problems you face. Sometimes the solution is obvious, and sometimes you have to get creative. If you reached a roadblock, reset your perspective. You never know what might happen. All right, enough of my thoughts on that. Now on to MentorBox. When I first spoke to Jonathan, he told me a story about how he landed his current role with the company. I thought it was awesome, and I hope you do too. Again, I was doing uh, freelance work, and I had many different clients for different things. And basically what I did is every morning and every evening, I would look at different job openings for freelance writers. And if I thought that they were interesting, I would apply to them. MentorBox came up, and I thought, okay, this is interesting, so I applied to it. Well, I got the job, obviously, and I found out later that uh, Alex and Ty got like 50 or 60 applications. They rifled through them really quickly, and they hired 20 people, which is funny because most people don't do that. The idea here is that they had you know, deep enough pockets and say, like, listen, my time is more valuable than my money, so I'm just going to hire 20 people to do the content for the first box, and they'll show me who's better, right? I don't care about their resume. I don't care about, you know, what they've done before. Just show me, right? And so it's a combination of, you know, how fast can you do it and then how good is it? Alex said that I was uh, significantly better than everyone else, which makes sense because it was so specialized. I was already doing this, like I said, you know. he. I remember I think the first book that we did was Think and Grow Rich, and I had already read it three times. And so it wasn't like I had to reread the book. I had already had notes in my notebook about that book and, how I applied it to my life. And it was just, it was like, yeah, okay. I've been basically breeding myself with this job for the last couple of years. And so, you know, I gave him a quick summary that I thought was the best. And he said, yeah, you're the best. And so then that he asked me, okay, can you do everything for the next month? And hey, can you do everything for the next month? And then it evolved into, I need you in San Francisco. Then it evolved into, why don't you do the interviews with the authors? And like I said, I had done you know speech and debate and poetry slam, so I was comfortable in front of an audience. And so I simultaneously had that skill set. And you know from there, it's just it's grown and grown and grown. And now I have a team of writers and I have a team of designers. And you know it's just it's blown up. I love that story. It's rare in our era of focused, targeted demographic or who knows who hiring practices that the best person for the job gets it. So I've mentioned MentorBox a couple of times now, but what is it and what value does it bring? Yeah, so MentorBox is basically the answer to the problem of, yeah, I know I should read, but I don't have time. And so many people have said that. I have gifted so many books. I know Alex said that he specifically started this company because he gifted so many books and then he would talk to people six months later. And he was very passionate and evangelical about a specific idea or a specific book and was particularly excited about this one person, be it a friend or someone in his uh, inner circle, that they should read this book and absorb this information. And then they just wouldn't. And the answer is always, well, I don't have enough time. 
now in modern society, I, I think, you know, it makes sense in a, in a way, but going back to the first thing I said, like everything is an excuse. What we want to do is we want to say, listen, a book is interestingly an, an archaic concept, right? And it works for what it does, but a lot of times there's, you know, five to 10 big ideas in a book, sometimes maybe only one or two, really important practical applications to life in a book. And the publisher, to be frank, needs to have the book be two to 300 pages. So there's a lot of allegory and there's stories and there's kind of a memoirish feel thrown in there. And a lot of the times it's like, well, you know, I don't want to read this book for eight hours and only get, you know, one or two things that are kind of hidden within the broader context of the whole story. And basically, even if you do read the book, what ends up happening is you're like, oh, yeah, I read that. That was that, that was good. And then you have maybe one takeaway, but you didn't really apply it to your life. And that's what we're avoiding. And that's the problem that we're solving. So what we do is we say, listen, there's a very specific way that you need to learn things. The science is unequivocal, right? You need to basically go back and forth between different styles of learning. And simultaneously, you can't do it all in one sitting, right? So uh, cramming doesn't work. So you want to do this idea of interleaving, where you absorb some of the information and then you let it sit for a day or two. And then you absorb the information and then you let it sit for a day or two. I mean, just this is fairly intuitive, but no one does it properly. Think about the people that are most successful in college. They don't start studying the week before the final exam. They do a little bit of studying maybe every other day for the entire semester. And so what we do is we say, okay, we're going to use this idea, but we're also going to make it really, really easy, and it's not going to be an entire semester. We first give you an executive summary, which is a 10 to 15-minute audio, and we suggest that you, you can listen to it in your car, you can listen to it while you're running, whatever, just make it, you know, part of your schedule. And you listen to a 10, 15-minute summary of the book, and it's not even just a summary. It tells you these are the main points, and this is how you're going to change your life. Then a day or two later, you look at the cheat sheet, which is a visual representation, and it gives you basically the 10 big ideas, and it says, hey, this is what you need to know, and then this is how you apply it to your life, again, but in a different format. So you're reading it, and it's also literally one page. So the whole concept of, well, I can't read this book, is like, well, this is one page. You totally can read one page, right? I mean, how often do you just read an article on your phone at a random interval? Just instead of reading that random article, just read this cheat sheet. So now we're at about 20 minutes of total work time. Then we give you a video, and the video is the author themselves explaining to you the concepts of the book, right? And so rather than getting all of the stories and having to sit down for eight hours, you watch a video. It's like 45 minutes to an hour and a half, depending upon the intensity of the book. And it's just like watching a movie or, or a very advanced TED Talk on one specific concept. And along the way, we give you a workbook, which is forced journaling, which this is, again, you will not learn something unless you apply it to your life. So when we're talking about, let's say, the habit loop, when we're, when we're going over the work of the power of habit, right, by Charles Duhigg, we would say, okay, first you have this cue, and then you have a response, and then you have a reward, and this is how you replace your response with something else, but you leave the cue and you leave the reward. And then we explain that to you and we say, okay, what's some, what's a habit that you want to change, right? And then we walk you through step by step. Okay, this is what you need to do. And then you set a plan for yourself. Okay, tomorrow at nine o'clock, I'm going to do this instead of this. And that's real change. That's not reading a book. That's real deep down the rabbit hole, change your life. And these books are, will do that because these are the most serious thought leaders in the world, right? These are the, the wisdom keepers of our age. You know, we spend so much time just 
basically wasting our time, not improving, not becoming better, and then we say, oh, well, I'm not happy about this or this or this, when the answers are right in front of our face. And the reason why we're not absorbing the answers is because we don't feel like we have enough time to read the book or we don't like reading books. And we say, listen, you know, just watch this video. Just, you know, write down a few of these answers while you're watching the video. Listen to this audio. How passive is that, right? That's why people are listening to this podcast because they're becoming a better person or hopefully they're learning something and then they can apply this to their life. They can remind themselves, oh, yeah, extreme ownership. Okay, oh, yeah, the obstacle is the way. Okay, I'm in, char- I'm in charge of my life. Oh, yeah, you know, this is a better way of learning. There's all these things that we've already talked about that are uh, you know, the four-hour work week. How do I learn something before I'm actually good at it? We've already given a lot of a lot of wisdom here you know, that is applicable to your life, but maybe you're listening to this podcast. Have you actually applied it? Are you pausing the podcast and saying, hey, okay, I'm going to you know, write this down and make sure that I, I apply it tomorrow? Maybe you're not, but basically we hold your hand through the process and we force you to do it. And the whole process takes, you know, two, two and a half hours. And now by the end, you have a very specific understanding of the book that someone who read it even two or three times is not going to have an understanding of the book and especially aren't going to be changed by them. So that's basically what MentorBox does. It it filters out all the, the books that you don't need to read, gives you the ones that you do need to read, and then gives it to you in a in a way that it's impossible for you not to apply and change your life after you've gone through the materials. All right. So the key takeaway there is that I digress podcast is life-changing according to Jonathan. If you apply what you learned while listening, I definitely can't argue with that. But seriously, shameless self-indulgent plug aside, the concept behind mentor box is really damn cool. Help people better utilize their time and optimize efforts when trying to obtain applicable skills from today's thought leaders to make their lives more fulfilling. I say that's pretty damn near benevolent. So we've heard the names Alex and Ty a couple of times throughout today's episode. So it only makes sense to introduce Ty Lopez and Dr. Alex Mayer. So who are these guys and what is it like to run the ship for two highly successful entrepreneurs? Ty and Alex are obviously the co-founders. Uh, Ty is an entrepreneur extraordinaire. He has a lot of businesses. You know, made, um, he was very successful in real estate and uh, different ventures. And now he's obviously a social media star and has kind of, you know, disrupted the television industry in a way. You know, a lot of people make money these days on, uh, you know, having a YouTube channel or they make money by having a reality television show. He's kind of disrupted both of those and said, hey, you know, I can do it through Snapchat. I can do it through Instagram Story. I can do it through Facebook Live. You know, with millions and millions of viewers, he's he reaches every time he touches his phone the same amount of people as Anderson Cooper every night, you know. So he's created a, a platform for himself. And the beautiful thing about Ty is that his entire – well, I'd let him uh, disagree with me, obviously, if, if he wants. But my interpretation is that, you know, Ty's whole thesis is, listen, you want to be successful, you want to live the good life, as he calls it. If you want to have freedom, autonomy, uh, you want to be able to give to the people that you love and that you care about, you know, your family – you want to have an ex- whatever experience that you want to have in your life and you want to share uh, wealth with other people, well, then you need to be smart. And that's really it. You know, a lot of times everyone thinks that there's some other answer, but the truth is that it's, you need to do the right things in the right order, right? And in order to do the right things, you have to know what to do. And how do you find out what to do is, you know, you, the answers are there. Like I said earlier, the answers are in books. These are the most intelligent, intense, active thought leaders of our time and they're giving you the answers and you just have to find them and take them. So his whole thing is, listen, 
you know, books are important. And so he's built his entire reputation on that. Like the reason why I am where I am today is because I read a lot of books and I find I found the answers in them. And so then he shares that with other people. And then Alex has a very similar story. Uh, Alex, uh, you know, grew up in a very, you know, not advantaged situation. He read books furiously and obsessively when he was young, and he took his academics very seriously. He ended up getting a PhD, worked for NASA, but the whole time he knew that what he really wanted to do was, you know, be an entrepreneur, and he wanted to have that creativity. You know, he started Zeusk, which is, you know, if you haven't heard of it, it's an online dating company that's, you know, up more than $100 million a year, very successful. And, but then he said, you know, I want to do something else. And so he started, him and, him and Ty met at actually, a, they were doing, giving a keynote at a conference. And so they met each other and they, they both said, oh man, I've never met anyone in my life that has read as many books as I have. And that was really their connection. They were both referencing a lot of books during their, their talk. And so they made that connection. That was seven, eight years ago. It was a long time ago. So they've been friends ever since then. And they finally decided, hey, let's make a company around the idea of books and education. And that's what we do. So it started out as a, you know, a passion project, but it just did so well so quickly and it's just blown up. You know, to answer your question about do I feel appreciative of, you know, being uh, a part of it? Uh, yeah, totally. I was a little bit more shocked when I first met them because their lifestyle is, for lack of a better word, kind of dramatic compared to, I think, most people's lives. They're not, neither of them are very showy, but their access to freedom is fairly profound. If you haven't been around people that have access to that kind of freedom, it's a little bit jarring and shocking and you're like, wow, not only do they get to do whatever they want, but they know how to leverage their knowledge and start companies in this really effective way. They're just amazing entrepreneurs, amazing minds. And so I was constantly feeling like, wow, these guys are you know, smarter than me in a way. But I also very quickly realized that they're both human beings and they both you know, respect me. And uh, especially with Alex, I just realized, you know, I've been training for this basically. Like now I'm in the arena. Now it matters. This is not me in my journal deconstructing a book. This is me, you know, writing in a, in a document that's going to eventually be seen by tens of thousands of people. And this matters. You know, how I word this really, really matters. They took me more seriously. So I take, I took myself more seriously. That takes confidence and it takes preparation. And I think I was, I was, I was ready for both. Jonathan finding his place at MentorBox can be seen as fortuitous, but I think his ability to have a good understanding of what he wants, plus an awareness of what he needed to do in his daily life to prepare himself for what makes him happy, is what made the stars align. To wrap things up, I asked Jonathan to revisit a discussion we had on a previous call. We discussed mentorship and the importance of knowing how to identify the right mentors for you. Now, I'm going to warn you, this part of the message is pretty intense and raw, and Jonathan is going to challenge you here. But if you're being honest with yourself and truly want to reach your greatest potential, you'll heed his words. All right. So I'll start with the idea of, uh, you know, kind of what is a mentor and who you should choose as your mentors. And a lot of times I've noticed that people will look up to people that are just a little bit ahead of them. So they live in, let's say, Portland, Maine, right? And they are into art. And there's someone that owns a gallery in Portland, Maine. You know, they're, they're in the world and they have a little bit of power and they have some experience. But really, for me, if I wanted to be an artist and I wanted to make those connections and I wanted to be influential, I want to be in the MoMA. You know, that's the person that I would be interested in having a conversation with. And I'm just using anyone as an example that isn't necessarily like top five in the world. And what I found is that you don't reach high enough 
because the person next to you is very satisfied with just a few steps up on the, the rung. And the person that you look up to is maybe, you know, your high school teacher or then you've been into college and your professor and then the person that got the engineering degree and started at 70K. Oh, my God, you started at 70K a year. That's so great, right? But is that really the person that you want to be? Like, do you want to have that job where you're kind of really told what to do and you're you're just kind of swimming in the ocean with every other fish? And maybe you're, you know, a little bit of a bigger fish, but you don't necessarily have total freedom. And you're not creating something that, you know, might be massively impactful. And I think the answer to that is we need to have better mentors. We need to reach higher. We need to say the person that I should be paying attention to and listening to is not my academic advisor because that person, love them or hate them, is giving you a very conservative answer. What they're doing is they're saying, on average, this is what you should be doing in order to do what everyone else has kind of already done and be generally happy. You make enough money so that in 30 years, you're going to have your mortgage paid off and you're going to have, if you save 5 to 7% of your weekly income before taxes and you put it in a compound interest you know, IRA or something, then you're going to be a millionaire by the time you're 65 years old. And you know by the time you're 55 years old, you're going to have moved up the ladder enough that now you make $150,000 a year and you're totally beautiful middle class and great life. Now, that's fine for some people, right? But you need to understand that that's what your counselor is telling you to do. And if you're looking up to the person that when they're 55 years old is in that position where they're comfortable and they're almost done with paying off their house and they have $150,000 coming in a year, wonderful and you know great for them. But if that's not what you want, if you dream and you, if I tell you, do you want $100 million or do you want a million dollars? Do you want to have beautiful, wonderful, ecstatic sex with your spouse every day? Or do you want to kind of have a so-so eh, love life? Do you want to be massively fit and you know confident in your body and you have you know almost a spiritual connection with your animal, whatever then, or you want to be kind of uncomfortable and unsatisfied and maybe not very confident and, you know, it's, I think the answer is fairly obvious, but most of the time we don't do what's necessary in order to get there. And I think the answer is because we're satisfied with, you know, not the optimal versions of ourselves. And the truth is that the, the university, the education system at present is not teaching you how to become the best version of yourself. The answers are in the stories, the, the skills and the history of the greatest, most elite performers in the world. If you want to learn about, you know, having great, great relationships, then there's there's incredible books about that. Like, why are you not having the conversation with the most elite person in the world at that skill? Why are you looking up to someone that's only a little bit better than you and then saying, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to be? And I think this is very high level, but when you get it down to the practical application, you know, whether or not you spend your time effectively is important. And there's better ways to learn where you can learn, um, you know, something super profound, or you can, you can say, oh, well, this is the system that society has created a long time ago during the Industrial Revolution in order to get people to be smart enough to be workers, but not necessarily smart enough to, you know, revolt and, and change the world, right? I think you just need to ask yourself, you know, that simple question, like, who do I want to be? What am I willing to do to get there? And if you want to be a lawyer, like, you know, you have to pass the bar and you need to get a law degree. Like, I'm not telling you don't get a law degree, right? But if you 
want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be a business person, if you want to be a creative, if you want to be an artist, if you want to do something disruptive, then I don't necessarily think it's all that important. Really just ask yourself this question, like, is there any theoretical way for me to be so good that regardless of whether or not I have this piece of paper, I will get the job? And if the answer is yes, then there's definitely a better way than university. I would say things like learning how to change your habits. I would say, you know, learning how to have a beautiful relationship with the people that you love. Learning, uh, you know, stoicism, being able to overcome any obstacle, you know, learning this real true optimism where you know that things are just the way that you define them, learning this idea of extreme ownership, learning how to learn something, learning how to communicate effectively, right, how to give a, a, a proper speech, how to be confident, even when, you know, you might not necessarily intuitively feel confident, on and on and on. These are not classes at university, but these are things that will be much more effective than anything else. So, yeah, we're disrupting the university system in a sense. Uh, I don't think we'll ever disrupt, you know, engineering, or I don't think we'll ever disrupt law. I don't think we'll ever disrupt being a doctor. But what we are doing is saying, hey, this is a supplement to this. If you want to be a really good doctor, if you want to be the best doctor that you can possibly be, then these are 10 other skills that you're not learning in medical school that you need to learn. For anyone who is focusing on self-development and pursuing big goals, Jonathan had a lot to offer. I hope you enjoyed hearing Jonathan's story. I certainly had fun speaking with him and preparing the episode. I'm going to leave you with this. You listen to this podcast to be inspired or challenge yourself to become a better person and hopefully learn something along the way that can be applied to your life. Even if you don't share Jonathan's provocative perspective on formal education, there's no questioning that he gave us a lot of actionable items to take away. Now it's on to us to decide our own paths and use them. Also, if self-development and the pursuit of actionable knowledge is your jam, be sure to check out Mentorbox. I know I will. Now get out there and get shit done. This episode of I Digress Podcast is produced by Matthew Petrakowski. Music by Nuts. Thanks, Jonathan, for your insight and perspective. I'm Aurel Chanel. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes and like us on SoundCloud. It would really help. Thank you.